0: And we're going to take a look at, um, we're, we're going to spend the next two weeks on Matthew chapter one, which is on page 807 of your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter one, I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. And Aminadab the father of Nashon. And Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph. And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham. And Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel the father of Abiud. And Abiud the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Aliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, you can learn a lot from a genealogy, from a family tree. Uh, Some of you have family trees. In fact, I've seen them in your home. Uh, right Right when you walk into your entranceway, you might have a family tree right up um, on your wall, and it's not just a decoration. It, it reminds you of who you are and, and how you got to where you are. Uh, I have this nerdy interest in genealogies, and I think a lot of you share this. I know, I know this to be the case. You have your Ancestry.com that you can pull up on a moment's notice. And, and it's interesting, isn't it, to, to search the genealogies and, and see, ah, so so that's, so that's how I can trace where i came from and and here's where here's where my family immigrated and 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 all of that stuff others are here saying oh boy a genealogy (laughs) so that's what we're going to be hearing today from the bible um and, and, and you might wonder what what does this have to do with christmas what does this have to do with jesus i mean it, is this Is this really um, important stuff in fact is isn 't this just something that we could just move past? Why do we have to read all those names? Is this just the kind of it, Matthew has to do it He has to get it out and we can just we can just look right past it I think you know the answer is no and the answer really comes down to this in the same sense that we look at our genealogies our um, our and trace our family line and see that there's something important that our genealogies have to say about us in that same way we have to realize that jesus's genealogy says an awful lot about him in fact it points to the very reason for why he came it points to his identity his purpose you could, e- you could even say this, it, it points to the meaning of Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Christ. So I want to look at this, I want to look at this genealogy, I want to discuss it by, by seeing several features of it. That it's a royal family tree, it's, it's, it's also a troubled family tree, and also it's a unique family tree. But before we jump into that, I just I want you to notice just from from this perspective, looking over this genealogy, that it's very significant that the New Testament begins with a long list of names, with a family tree. Why is that? Well, think about it this way. The New Testament doesn't begin with the words, once upon a time in a land far, far away. The New Testament does not begin with fairy tale language. Instead, it starts with the very thing that we would expect to see if what we're is we're, what we're about to hear is true. True in the truest sense of the word, that it is rooted in real history. That's the first thing you need to see as you see this genealogy. Matthew includes this here, not out of obligation, but because he is is grounding the reality of Jesus Christ in real history. He is a real person, a real figure. He's not someone that the church imagined. He's not some individual that the church fabricated or or built built upon. Um, The Christ of faith, once again, is the Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus of history. Not once upon a time, but this is the genealogy of. And as we look closer at this real genealogy there's several things we see. And the first is that it is no ordinary genealogy, it is a royal family tree. Now, some of you have done the ancestry DNA thing, and, and when, whenever you get the chance to tell someone, you like to tell them that you're related to a king. So some far back somewhere somewhere back. I've got a family member who has the rights to a castle in Scotland. Isn't that cool? I say, Yo, You should go and tell them that, right? <laughs> this is my castle. Well, Jesus' genealogy is not just any royal genealogy. It's not like that. Because he is connected in this genealogy to not just a king, but the king, David. David. Now, David is incredibly significant. I think you've already caught on to that. We've been singing today a bit about David. We've, we've heard an Old Testament scripture reading that mentioned David, right? Um, in fact, it said that, that there will come one who will sit on the throne of his father, David. Now, why is David so very important in, in the whole Bible? He's a figure that you just can't miss. And if, 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 you don't, if you don't understand who David is, you're going to struggle to understand the Bible. Well, here's why he's so important. David was the king upon whom all the promises of God were placed. You remember way back in the Old Testament when God uh, comes to Abraham and he speaks to Abraham and says, you will be the father of many nations. I I will be your God. You will be my people. And Abraham says, that's wonderful. But it's David, the king who comes from Abraham, um, who is tasked with bringing about all of those promises. Now, what promises am I talking about? Conquering enemies, conquering the enemies of God's people. Now, David did a lot of that. Did a lot of conquering. He did a lot of, of, um, of pushing out the Philistines from the promised land and, 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 and allowing God's people to live in peace. He set up a, a kingdom. And he ushered in this peace. But, but, but here's the thing about David. You have to understand all of that weight is, put, is placed upon his shoulders to be the king that's going to, to right all the wrongs and establish peace and, and bring political order and, and settle the hearts of, of God's people. But it doesn't happen in David's day. Instead, towards the end of his life, he hears that all of those promises and all that weight placed upon his shoulders is going to fall upon the shoulders of a king that will be his physical descendant. Second Samuel 7. we read this last week, but we should turn there, because here's where you see the promises uh, to David start to reach beyond him to another person, down in his lineage, down in his family tree. Um, second Samuel chapter seven, verse 12, God says this to that key figure, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish, establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right? David is saying, Whew, I, I, guess, I guess it doesn't all fall to me, but it's going to fall to someone that's coming from my bloodline. And so king after king in this long list that we've just read every every son that was born to David, every firstborn son, the question was, is he this offspring? Is he the key of David? Is he the one that's going to bring in all those promises? Is he going to fix what's broken? Is he going to save the world? Finally, we come to Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, the question is, could this Jesus, could he be the one? Could he be the one to free Israel from Roman oppression? Could he be the one to do even more than that? To free Israel from its sins? To free God's people to truly worship him from their hearts? Well, Matthew, right here in this genealogy, gives an emphatic yes. Yes yes. Now, he's done that in a, in a whole lot of ways. The first way he's done that is he has called Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in doing that, he's shouting from the rooftop, this is the guy, this is the one, this is the king. But there's more than that. David's, or Matthew has done something that just circles Jesus in this lineage and, and, and you can't miss that he is the promised one. Here's how, he's do, how he does it. He lays out his genealogy in this, in this creative and careful uh, numerical fashion. Now, you're, I, I need to, uh, to explain what I'm doing. I am not finding hidden codes in the Bible. I'm not saying that all over the Bible, you just look for the numbers and, and, you, and you crack the codes. No, but if you are a, um, a first century Jew, Jew reading this Bible and you hear the number 14 three times, three sets of 14, and that is the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way to him, you would right away say 14, three, three sets of 14. That is the number of King David. Because the way that Jews um, thought of, of n- number values and, and letters is they would take a letter and each letter stood for a number. So um, for instance, you know the letter D was uh, equivalent to, to four, the number four. letter D stood for the number four. And so if you took the name of David, D, V, D in Hebrew, and, and you plugged in the, the, the numerical values, four, six. And four, 14, 14. And it's no mistake that David is number 14 in this genealogy. Matthew is making loud and clear that Jesus, after three sets of 14 in this long lineage from Abraham all the way to Jesus, that he is taking up the jersey of of King David and he's number 14 coming to do what David was promised his offspring would do. Jesus is the Son of David. He is the promised one. He's the one upon all the weight of saving the world falls on his shoulders. Now, what does that mean for us? It means this that our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in this Savior, this King. You say that's a simple point, Pastor. It is, but we forget it over and over and over again, and we need to hear it. We especially need to hear it this time of year when we start to look for, um, you know the the the, the good uh, family traditions of Christmas, and and the and, and we start to look for uh, to family, or we start to look to programs, or we start to look to political parties, and say, you know that's going to fix things. That's that's going to give meaning to my life. That's going to restore balance and order. That's going to to establish a kingdom that I can trust in. And um, Matthew says, no, no, it's not. Our hope lies not in a program, not in a political party, not in our family, but in a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true son of David, who brings lasting peace and fixes what is broken. Jesus is the king. But as soon as we hear this, we have to notice something else that's, that's in this genealogy. It is not nice and tidy. This is, it's a troubled family tree. There is stuff in this family tree that most kings would want uh, to hide from the public. Because you see, for, for a king, a genealogy, a family tree, it's like a resume, right? Someone says... Why are you the king? He says, well, well, come look at this chart. Look at my descendants. I'm I'm from the the royal line. And in that family tree, a king would want to hide the fact that he had, you know, a crooked uncle that tried to take over the throne. Or he would try to hide the fact that his great, 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 great grandfather just devastated his kingdom. That's a very human way to approach kingly lines. Kind of hide all the stuff that no one wants to talk about. But not, not in this genealogy. Matthew just starts bringing out these skeletons from the closet. And you're like, dude, stop. Slow down. What are you do? Why are you doing this? Let me point out a few of these. First of all, in this line, this line of Judah, you see name after name after name after name of kings. And some of them are good. Some of them are decent. But most of them are very wicked. <laughs> Many of them are very, very wicked. Jeconiah led to the the downfall of his people through his idolatry, to them being um, deported to Babylon. And he's mentioned right there along with, with the error of his ways. There are kings here who led Israel in sacrificing their children on the altar to gods. But there's more than that. There are women in this genealogy. Now, in ancient genealogies, women just were not mentioned. This genealogies, family trees, were, were were where you would hear a lot of, of names of men, but women were you wouldn't want to be a king mentioning women in your genealogy. It was just the way things were. But Matthew goes out of his way to mention several women, and in fact, the women he mentions are not the kind of women you would want to mention at all. First, in verse 3, we see Tamar mentioned. Now, what's the deal with Tamar? We we know her story in Genesis. She committed shameful acts with her father-in-law in in order that that the birthright would continue. Well, well, it's good that the birthright continued because then we wouldn't have Jesus. Yes, that's true. But what she did was wicked. (laughs) Why are you drawing attention to her? Why are you putting a spotlight on her, Matthew? Matthew? What about Rahab in verse five? Do you know who Rahab was? She was a prostitute. She wasn't even from, and she she was an outsider to Israel. And yet here she is folded into this line. What about Ruth in verse five? She was an outsider, a Moabite. And and we might think good things about her. I mean, she she had a, a lot of godly qualities, but she was an outsider to God's people at that time. And then to top it all off, we hear the mention of Uriah's wife. Who was the mention, who who was Uriah's wife? Right there in verse uh, six. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Well, Uriah's wife was, was Bathsheba. Uriah's wife was the Bathsheba that David saw. King David, the great King David saw her and he wanted her and he took her from Uriah. And then he plotted the very death of Uriah on the battlefield and he stole Bathsheba for himself. That is a shameful and wicked thing that a great king would do. And yet here it is (laughs) uh, with a spotlight on it in, in the genealogy. Matthew, that's the kind of thing you tuck away and don't mention. David's downfall right there. Now, why would Matthew air all this dirty laundry, even about the greatest king in, in this leading up to Jesus? Why would he do this? It's because Jesus didn't come to praise his ancestors. He came to save them. Jesus didn't come to just talk over and over again about how great the kings were that he came from and how he wanted to be a king just like them and do more than he did. No, he came to say, I and connected to a wicked and a broken people and they need salvation their greatest need isn't some sort of political order that would help it's not that they need some sort of program uh, that's going to finally free them from um, from external authorities no their greatest need is that they're sinners is that they're descended from adam See, friends, the human race is broken by sin. And this line, just like all of our lines, is touched by it. It all started when Adam disobeyed God in the garden and and, and did and, and chose sin, chose to disobey. And then after him, line after line, father after father, son after son, corruption, 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 corruption. We are not well. We are dreadfully wicked and cracked about the head. That's what Herman Melville says, and he's right. You know, we all see this, don't we? I mean, you only have to spend about 20, 30 minutes on Ancestry.com to start seeing that there's some twisted stuff that pops up in your genealogies, right? There's some, there's some crooked figures. I found that pretty fast. They're not the ones that you usually want to mention when you tell people what you found on Ancestry.com, but they're there. And then let's, let's take it a, a step further. Haven't, hasn't the thought ever crossed your mind even if you have wonderful parents hasn't the thought ever crossed your mind boy I, I hope I don't become like them in this respect I hope I'm different hasn't it bothered you when you see yourself actually becoming like them in the same respects that you, you, you identified as sin isn't doesn't it bother you that you know that genealogy and, and ancestry has this place in your life where where um, uh, You you can't escape the tug towards sin, the temptations that come to you. Many of them came to your ancestors as well. Sometimes you struggle with with things like like alcoholism. Why? Not just because your heart is wicked because of that, but also. Because father and father and father after you have struggled with that thing. See, I, I want to break free of that. I want that cycle to end. I I don't want to become like that. Don't we all hope that? Don't we all desire that? And yet, what we see in the genealogy of Jesus is that there's trouble, um, father after father, son after son, all beset with sin. We need someone to lift us out of this mess. We need someone to break the cycle of sin. We need someone who's not ashamed to identify with weak sinners like us. We need someone who can go straight to the root of that broken family tree. You know, go right, right to the bottom of it, right to the roots. And, and, and so that he can fix the, um, the leaves that are wilting and dying. And that's where the good news comes into this genealogy. It is a troubled family tree, but, but, but that's why it, it, it leads up to Jesus who is called the Christ. Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? It means he is set apart by God to fix what is broken in the human race. Isn't it amazing that Jesus doesn't hide his connection to these, to these sinners? It's more than that. Jesus didn't just find out he was connected to them. We know who Jesus is. We know he's the son of God. And so he chose Prostitutes, sinners, outsiders, to be connected to him. He chose that. He could have done it other ways, but he didn't. He chose to be connected to sinners in this way. And and that's good news for you. It means that Jesus is not ashamed to identify with you. He's not ashamed to welcome you into his family. Isn't that what we hear? In, in, in John 1, 12, all who believe in his name are given the right to be called children of God. Isn't it true that in Jesus Christ we are adopted into his family, into a better family tree, as it were, into a new humanity? Not a, not a humanity that's de- decaying at the roots, but that is, it, it, it's thriving and growing in righteousness. We are children of God. That's the new human race that we belong to in Jesus Christ. And so, what does this mean? It means that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you belong to him, you can't just you can't say, well, I just do this because my dad did it. I guess I'll just never break free of this sin. I guess I'll never be different. No. It means you belong to a new humanity, a new family tree. You cannot, you cannot excuse sin any longer. You repent, you turn, and you live according to the, to, to the, the, to the new head of your family, Jesus. Right? No excuses for sin anymore. Only the freedom and grace of Jesus Christ, connecting you sinners to him and leading to righteousness, to new obedience. You cannot live how you used to anymore. Is no excuse to live according to Adam. We live according to the righteousness in Christ. Good news is this, that King Jesus welcomes any who will come to him, turn away from them sin, their sins and embrace him by faith. He welcomes all of you into his family tree. He's not ashamed to welcome sinners into his family. There's only one more question that remains. How could Jesus break the cycle? Why this son? We look at that list. There were so many of them, three sets of 14, and none of them could do it. Not even David could do it. Why is Jesus any different? Why can he finally break the cycle? Well, it's tucked away here. We're going to hear more about this next week. But look with me. To the end of the passage. Right there in verse 16. You see, everyone who has ever been born has a long list of, of lineage. Of fa- fathers and sons. And in this list, we see the father of, the father of, the father of, the father of, the father of. And then we come to this. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Christ was born, who is called, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Do you see what what happened there? Jesus is different. He's different. He does not have a human father. You can't say that Jesus had An earthly father, because right here in this text, we see that Jesus is not Joseph's son. He's Joseph's heir by law. This is his legal genealogy, but it is not his human physical genealogy that belongs to Mary. And what it means is that Jesus is unique. He's like no one else who has ever been born because it means that his father is God. In the most direct and unique sense, that he comes from heaven, the very Son of God, taking on humanity. And so he does not inherit our sinful nature. He is the only man who hasn't inherited the curse of sin. And that's why only Jesus can break the cycle of sin and misery. He's not a sinner like you and I. He is human, but he's not a sinner. Unique birth, a virgin birth. A birth that gives us hope. Only Jesus could be sinless, could go to the cross, could die the death that we deserve to die because he didn't have any sin of his own to die for. And so he took it upon himself He took it to the cross and he died on the cross. And when he rose again, he rose again for all who will look to him by faith and he begins a new humanity, a new family tree, sprouting seeds of new resurrection life and righteousness. That's our hope. Not our family ancestries on Ancestry.com. As as interesting as that is, I'm going to keep researching Jesus that's where our hope lies let's pray heavenly father thank you for sending the only son who had no beginning in time but is very God a very God and who took upon himself at the fullness of time a human nature who was born into this world who was really a descendant of David through Mary and who legally through his adopted father Joseph was heirs to all of those promises he fulfilled them like no one else could. He's the one who fixes our broken world. He's the one who frees us from sin. Lord, help us to look to him by faith. And Lord, if, we have, if, if there are those here who have not done that, may they do that now. Say, before I walk out of this room, give me Jesus. I need identified with him. Lord, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for this hope. And We pray all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.